This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. And all that jazz. Welcome to the artists. As Godard said, you don't make a movie, the movie makes you. In our movie-making profession, the workings of Murphy's Law is always at its best. In these candid conversations, we unravel those challenges that define the makers in the movie-making business. Hope these chats will inspire and elevate you to keep fighting for your dreams, but with a mode of reality check on it. I'm your host, Suchita, and this podcast is brought to you by Metaphysical Lab. Enjoy the show. As we enter the Season 2 of The Artist's Podcast. Season 1 was full of some great conversations, so do not forget to catch that. Conversations around script writing, festival strategies, festival submissions, making indie films, talent agencies, OTT platforms, short docus, and a lot more. And you can check us out on all the leading podcasting platforms from iTunes to Spotify to Google Podcasts to Stitcher to Breaker, you name it. Season 2 of the podcast, we are trying to expand beyond the realm of filmmaking and include other art forms as well, uh, photography, painting, etc, etc. We are going to be adding some special features in our sections as well, so watch out for that space. I am your host Suchita and I look forward to hearing more from you. Today we have a very special guest with us on the podcast. Well. All our guests are special, but this one happens to be slightly more special because he's taken up time from his very busy schedule to be part of the artist podcast and share his knowledge and experience with us. Please welcome Paolo Bertolin. Paolo doesn't need any introduction, but let me introduce him to the best of my ability. Paolo is a film critic, he's a journalist, he's a film pro- programmer. He is a consultant with Venice International Film Festival, overseeing Southeast Asia, India. Oceana, as well as consulting for Doha Film Festival, Cannes, Beijing, Locarno, Rotterdam, you name it. Uh, he is also on the selection committee of Directors Fortnight Cannes. Humble that Paolo could take our time and join us in this podcast, starting of season two. Hi, Paolo. Welcome to the Artists Podcast and thank you for taking our time. Thank you, Suchita. It's actually my pleasure. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Paulo. Uh, you know, I want to start the conversation as we were discussing yesterday about uh, your role being a festival programmer uh, and a film critic, and you were associated with Venice uh, Film Festival, Directors Fortnight Cannes now. How do you differentiate the role? Uh, well, indeed, they are different roles because uh, I need to clarify that what I do for Cannes Directors Fortnight and yes. what I do for Venice. Uh, it's two different tasks, basically. Yes, yes. Um, I joined Directors Fortnight this year for the first time uh, with a new uh, artistic delegate, Paolo Moretti. Yes. And my role there is being part of the selection committee. The selection committee is a, let's say, very small uh, handful of people who, together with the artistic delegate, are watching I cannot say all of the films because that would give a misleading idea because we are talking about hundreds and thousands of films and there are some other filters that are also um, helping us mm-hmm. uh, sorting out by watching obviously all the films mm-hmm. but we are watching films together and we are discussing some of sometimes these films are pre-selected by some consultants mm-hmm. and they're 
it comes the explanation of what I do for Venice, because for Venice, instead, I'm one of those consultants who are playing as filters. Uh, in Venice, for the past uh, 12 years, since the 2008 edition, mm -hmm. uh, I have been... Uh, First of all, I was also a member of the committee there, but then I only retained a position as consultant slash correspondent following mm -hmm. specific territories, following specific regions of the world, including South and Southeast Asia, um, Oceania and Turkey. That mm -hmm. means that for those countries, I am somewhat, somehow uh, the point of entry. I'm the person who is supposed to keep a relationship uh, with uh, the filmmakers, the producers, the institutions in these countries, mm -hmm. as well as scouting for the films, trying to watch them as soon as possible, uh, maybe before competitors, let's put it like this, mm -hmm. and then recommending to uh, the committee itself and to our artistic director, Mr. Alberto Barbera, the films that I believe uh, could be fit for the programming in Venice. So mm -hmm. uh, in this, I also need to specify that uh, since we are in a podcast uh, from India, yes. uh, as far as India is concerned, in Director's Fortnight, Paolo Moretti has appointed someone else to follow the South Asian region, uh, whom you probably know, Miss Dipti de Cunha. Yes. So she plays the role that I play in Venice instead. So mm -hmm. in a way, this allows my specific position in avoiding potential conflicts of interest. Because, you know, when I accepted the double position, there were concerns uh, among the people, among the filmmakers that I know, mm -hmm. oh yeah, now Paolo, what <laughs> will you do? I mean, uh, I, I understand this kind of um, concerns, uh, but that's why we devised uh, a system mm -hmm. uh, that in some ways uh, allows me and us in the sense uh, both directors Fortnite and Venice to avoid these kind of conflicts. Having said this, mm -hmm. um, I would also like to mention that in regard to the jobs I do and the position in festivals and uh, the label as film critic, mm -hmm. um, it is interesting potentially to know that um, we people who work in the festivals are not that well paid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry if I, if I mention mm -hmm. it in this podcast, sure. but... Many people ask me, oh, why are you piling up so many prestigious <laughs> positions? Someone mm -hmm. was asking me, actually, mm -hmm. someone from Europe was asking me last December. Mm -hmm. And the answer I gave to her, what about the money? Do I need to, you know, survive myself? Mm -hmm. And she, coming from Europe as well, she mm -hmm. immediately realized and said, oh, yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. Because the big problem for us who are working, even for these prestigious institutions, is sometimes the fact that we need to actually... Um, add one position after another, keep working in different specific uh, roles that sometimes may overlap, sometimes may not, mm -hmm. uh, so that we can actually make a living. So this is actually um, this is something I would like to come back to later uh, in the podcast in terms of two things that you just mentioned, um, of functioning as a filter, also in terms of not getting well paid, uh, which is also a lot of the reasons why people double up in their professions. Uh, but tell me something, Paolo, you watch so much of content uh, from different countries. How do you maintain the objectivity? Uh, this is a good question because uh, I feel I feel to I, I feel that I need to actually 
um, redefine the question because mm -hmm. I believe that we cannot really talk about objectivity mm -hmm. in this field mm -hmm. uh, in general sure. when we're talking about the arts and I do believe that uh, cinema mm -hmm. uh, is part of the arts um, it is impossible to actually Uh, determine whether something is good or bad or it is memorable and worth uh, staying in the pages of history, especially at the moment, at the exact moment when it is being screened for the first time. There have been so many cases in the, in the history of cinema itself of films that were, you know, um, critically panned and ignored Uh, mm. by both audiences and critics and festivals when they were first released. And then now they are considered part, part of the canons of world cinema. That has happened before. Mm. And I believe it's still happening. It, it is something that is inevitable simply because, um, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, festivals and the selection of festivals like Venice, Cannes, Berlin, but even, you know, the festivals everywhere around the world from Mami and Goa and uh, Kerala, yes, yes. Uh, they are made by people. They are made by artistic directors, committee members, uh, pre-viewers and uh, consultants. And all of us are human. And for one mm. reason or another, we are fallible. We make mistakes. Mm. I do believe that uh, uh, we all in this profession, especially when, uh, when working for the big festivals like Cannes or Venice, mm. you are entrusted with some kind of responsibility and you feel uh, the way of that uh, burden, I would say, even sometimes of that responsibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, you try as much as possible to do the best you can, but you still do it within the range of what is a totally subjective judgment. Mm -hmm. um, that's why, as I repeat it again, we mm -hmm. make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, at the same time, I would not always defend the position of filmmakers. Yes, you made a mistake. Like, of course, we select one film over, uh, out of 300. I don't feel like all the other 219 filmmakers should claim that we made a mistake. Yes. Um, there are sure. reasons why these choices are made and they are not, not always made out of, you know, uh, a clear cut decision whether, okay, this is the film fit for the festival. Sometimes there are also matters that intervene that could be of a different kind of a, um, a nature. Mm -hmm. uh, but that mostly happens when there are other intervening, let's call them forces. But this mostly happens when it comes to Uh, the bigger films, the national films, because, of course, you know, choosing an Italian film for Venice, choosing a French film for Cannes and one of the side sections in Cannes always brings in some extra, um, you know, influences or discussions among the committee members. It, it, is a, it is a choice that has to be weighed in in a different way. Whereas, and we were talking about this yesterday in the preparatory meeting, uh, mm -hmm. meeting sorry, mm -hmm. it is uh, actually uh, 
easier for films coming from uh, you know s smaller you we you know what we mean here i'm not saying that for example indian cinema or the indian industry is a smaller industry but we're talking about the smaller component of what we receive because the bigger industry like bollywood in india is not submitting to festivals like Cannes or venice mm, yes. for the longest time mm. so when it comes to India and the selection of Indian films, 99% mm. uh, of the submissions are actually independent, small independent films, mm -hmm. most of the times mm -hmm. regional films. Yes. And exactly because there are no real vested interests from our side and from the side of the management of all the components uh, of our festivals, uh, it is more obvious or more common that choices that are made towards this um, independent films from India or Bangladesh, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, or mm -hmm. even uh, Turkey, Australia, New Zealand, the countries that I work with, mm -hmm. uh, they are made more uh, precisely and more regularly on the sole uh, basis of quality and mm. of uh, mm -hmm. a subjective perception of what is mm. best. So uh, basis to, of quality, yeah. I mean, that's important. It, it, and and it is a subjective judgment. Then, mm. then, mm. then, of course, uh, the role of us correspondents is mm -hmm. also that of trying to provide uh, an insight of what may be relevant, of what may be more specifically new, original, within context. But uh, our voice may be heard or not in these cases because uh, the committees uh, are working on a global uh, standard basis, like uh, they judge most of the times Indian films with the same eye that they judge uh, a French film, a Czech film, or a Chilean film. So even if I, as correspondent consultant for India or some other territory, I try to support a certain film by specifying why this film within context uh, is relevant, is important. Sometimes it may happen that the committee says, yes, it is relevant within context, but this year we have this and this and this and this from this and this and this other country mm -hmm. that are just better in terms mm -hmm. of global cinematic values. But again, all these uh, categories, all these assessments are extremely subjective. subjective and, to, yeah. and, to, and to come back to the earlier uh, main question, I mm. would say that uh, the, the main compass that helps you, um, that helps you uh, within this uh, huge and increasing amount of content that we are that we have to watch mm. uh, for our job um, is the uh, hope and excitement that we have uh, to still find something that moves us, that gives us mm. something in one way or another, which would be which could be aesthetically or emotionally. I, I am personally someone who still gets moved uh, by films, and that's something that I, 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 I really am fond of, the fact that a film can give me an emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's something that uh, 
whenever it happens makes me always root uh, for a certain film. Mm. Awesome. Something that gives you an emotion that moves you and mm. also that fits into the global cinematic values and the quality of the content definitely. I have two questions coming out of this. Uh, the first question Paulo is that there is so much content out there for people to watch. Um we're talking about uh, people the festival audience we're also talking about the general audience when the film goes to the theater. And most of the content suppose if we're talking about the OTT platforms for example we're talking about video mobile phones uh, content which is going to get increased with uh as we move uh, as we head forward. Is that redefining the way is that impacting the way the audience uh, sees uh, uh, cinema uh, is that redefining the aesthetics of cinema and the understanding of cinema and is that impacting the way a filmmaker should make their films and is that impacting the way a film critique or a film programmer is going to see the films in the coming years um i think this is definitely another big and uh, relevant question for all of us yes. uh working in the festival business and in the cinema industry in general yes. because the relationship between the different uh, modes of uh, fruition of experiencing uh visual content is obviously affecting the whole range of uh offers yes um in the specific field of festivals there has been a clear sign within uh, the bigger events those that have the space to afford it uh, they are opening up to series and in that sense venice in its own i mean venice is a, is a festival that has much less programming space uh, mm -hmm. it has less slots than say berlin or toronto mm -hmm. but we did uh, present uh, uh, this year for instance uh, a couple of uh, samples of a high profile uh, series made by you know key italian directors like the new pope by paolo sorrentino there are other festivals like the berlinale that mm -hmm. have introduced uh, sections devoted specifically to series and within the framework of their markets they have also opened up to uh, series whether they are coming from television or ott platforms uh now the question the question whether this is also affecting our um perception mm. and the aesthetics uh, of uh, cinema mm. is probably even more relevant mm. because uh, uh more than the content itself what has been changing and evolving is the way we watched this content because uh, uh you know when i was a kid in the 1980s and 90s mm. uh, we had basically you know the movie theater and on the other hand we had our television back home and these were the two two screens through which we would uh, watch content now we have the tablets yes. now we have the small smartphones mm. we are more and more watching films and other visual contents through screens that are becoming increasingly smaller this yes. is a, a thing that oftentimes um 
people who are producing specific content for OTT platforms are very aware of. Mm. Um, what can you do with a, a big, a, a big or a smaller canvas? Yes. Uh, the detail of the image, the detail of the backdrop, and uh, the quality of the work in the interaction between the space and the corners of the space. I mean, I think these are very interesting questions and also how much the viewer yes. can appreciate and distinguish uh, what he or she is watching through. Uh, different scales of uh, screens. Um, this is definitely uh, a question that I'm sure the most uh, uh, aware uh, creators of images are uh, asking themselves when producing content for different uh, producers, because, of course, we are talking about those who are commissioning uh, the work in the first yes. place. But at the same time, um, I, I also perceive myself that uh, mm, we as viewers, as professionals who are professional viewers, mm. we oftentimes have the experience of watching certain films on our laptops, because mm -hmm. we have to. Now, you know, most of the times um, films are being submitted these days through links, uh, yes. through preview links that uh, lead to online uh, files that are shared and we can uh, watch. And we are mostly watching them ourselves through our personal electronic devices. Yes. Uh, whereas in the past, I remember when I started working for Venice, it was oftentimes the case that people would send prints. Yes. Like yes. 35, the, the oh now, <laughs> now gone 35 millimeter prints. Yeah. And that meant that we obviously had to hire a projectionist and screen the films on, uh, on a, on a, in a theater, on a big screen mm -hmm. uh, within the premises of, uh, of the Venice Film Festival. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that all of the films were being watched uh, on the big screen, but this, uh, I believe, uh, it is something that has uh, brought in uh, a different perception and talking also with other professionals, I, I know of the fact that we all had the experience of watching the same films on different uh, screens, on different uh, screens of different sizes, and obviously feeling that the impact on the big screen is still something different. Um, yes. And and I am wondering because you know I'm not a sociologist, uh, mm. I'm not. Uh, a psychologist. I'm not someone who is specifically studying this domain, but I'm really wondering uh, if this impact, if this uh, different uh, effect that the big screen still causes on us is something that uh, younger generations yes. are also aware of. Yes. Especially because uh, you know, for the general public, the big screen is now, you know, there has been a segmentation mm. of what we watch on what size of screens, because it looks like the big screen is now, uh, for most people, not for everyone, but for the general audience, is the space for the grand spectacle, uh, meaning that it has to be the big 
big film, the tentpole film with a you know 100 million US dollar budget yes. at least. Christopher Nolan, yeah. With yeah. the huge special effects, yes. uh, something that you might watch on IMAX, 3D, 4D, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And and you know the value, especially because the tickets are quite expensive. These are also economic factors yeah. that are intervening. Mm. So, are you willing to pay the same ticket to watch, uh, say, Avengers, which provides a spectacle of great magnitude? And that also, I mean, this is also another interesting thing that I've been noticing. Mm. Uh, and this is something that maybe is paralleling what Bollywood mm. has been doing for the longest time. Mm. In in the last 10, 15 years, if you look at the length of the big Hollywood blockbusters, mm. it's actually increased. There are yes. oftentimes mm. now big mm. Bollywood, sorry, big Hollywood films. Yeah. Bollywood, it's, it's already taken for granted that they go beyond two hours. <laughs> but there are more and more of such, you know, huge, epic mm. uh, films that are going beyond the two hours. So I also feel like even this, uh, you know, value per time is becoming interestingly, interesting, appreciated by the audience. Whereas do you... Do you wish to watch for the same price uh, a small Indian film uh, mm. <laughs> coming to the theater near you? I mean, mm. it's it's become the privilege maybe for a more educated. And I mean, it was it was like that before, but probably it's becoming more and more um, niche. Mm. Uh, the idea, the notion mm. of watching mm. films, international films, uh, on the big screen, which is a huge pity, mm. and that is why. Uh, and, 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 you know, because of that, the fact that there is so much, let's say, smaller content, less uh, ambitious, less expensive content available through all the other platforms, including the OTT platforms, but also, you know, YouTube. There's so much to watch on YouTube. Yes. And, and I'm talking also about illegal content, content mm. that's been illegally uploaded on YouTube. There's so much to watch yes. for free or for a small amount of money that mm. maybe you want to watch the... And that's why Hollywood is so careful about piracy. Because mm. exactly the value that you're paying for the ticket to watch on a 4DX screen, uh, the latest Fast and Furious series installment, mm. um, it's not something you you want to waste. Um, so anyway, mm. um, the other effect of this is that... Uh, um, the only way or almost the only way for films, smaller films in terms of their size, in terms of their budget, in terms of the, their impact on the media and on the general conscience of what is going around, their biggest hope at this moment um, and this is one of the effects of this proliferation of content and of means of watching content uh, they can find space through the uh, special focus, the special highlighting that festivals give them. And that's why there's also been a proliferation of festivals all around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess India as well has been knowing uh, a huge surge of events, mm -hmm. smaller mm -hmm. events organized by independent entities mm -hmm. or by institutions that are providing content that otherwise would not reach audiences in a regular way on the big screen anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, this has been, of course, a big 
matter of talk among us professionals, the responsibility that festivals have in terms of having become uh, an alternative, a re real alternative circuit, a global alternative circuit for a certain specific or certain specific kinds of content. When you talk about selecting a content that moves you, that emotionally moves mm. you, is what uh, ultimately stands out in selecting uh, something specific, one of the reasons. When we're talking about the bombardment of content globally, uh, is that affecting when the content is bombarded that also affects the way you feel about the content you that also affects the way you see the content and get moved by the content because there is you know the law of diminishing returns also you know playing at the same time more you know more content and perhaps you are at some point might turn indifferent to it is that redefining the feelings and the way we move towards viewing something that could be of good quality uh, well, yes, this is another <laughs> very interesting point because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, this is getting into the specifics of our profession. It is undeniable that with the increase of content that we are all experiencing in terms of submissions to festivals yes. and the fact that we all have, I mean, all, all of us working in festivals mm -hmm. have the same time that all other people have within one day yes. and we need to sleep we need to eat we need to have a social life hopefully yeah. maybe try to read a book some sometime rather than just only watching films 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 and yes. you know it, it, it is it is the kind of questions that uh us uh working in festivals are always uh, asking ourselves are you managing to do this and that and you know especially i mean now i I take the side of people because, you know, people, some people are trying also to have a family life, to build, yeah. uh, to get married and have kids. Yeah. And, you know, I have some colleagues of my age, women especially, yeah. who have recently given birth. I mean, you're watching films all the time, but you also have to take care of your kid. And especially if it's a baby or she's a baby uh, and is keeping you, he or she is keeping you up at night, then you have to watch films and, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, um, of course, this is not my case, but I'm also trying to wear some other people's shoes. And mm -hmm. I would like filmmakers out there mm -hmm. to also try and wear our shoes. Yeah. Uh, because, because, you know, I mean, we all actually respect and understand that filmmakers are literally uh, spending years and devoting their lives yes. to their films. Uh, but it's also true that we are the nexus where hundreds of films and hundreds of filmmakers with the same concerns, the same preoccupations and the same love for their own work mm. are coming to. And in a way, we, again, are human beings. We are fallible. We make mistakes. Mm. And we have 24 hours in a day where we also want to sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, so, mm. so it is true that... Uh, uh, Sometimes it may happen that we are tired and we may um, we may watch uh, one film in a way that maybe is not as attentive as another one. Do I mm. do I have to admit this? It might happen. Mm. I I was just uh, just a couple of days ago. I was. Uh, 
what's happening with a filmmaker actually well i can say it it's history yeah. now i <laughs> yeah. was i was uh, i was what's happening with an indian filmmaker chaitanya tamhane mm -hmm. from court which yes. was a film that had a brilliant career mm -hmm. and started its brilliant career in venice and yeah. i was recalling and he knew this thing that uh i was recalling how very vividly i remember the first time i started watching court on my laptop mm -hmm. and i stopped and i stopped because i was tired and i was seeing that there was on, uh, something interesting in the film but as i was watching it i was feeling that i was too tired to watch mm. it at that moment, that it was a demanding film, yes. undeniably, awesome, that yeah. it needed that it needed to be seen with a clear mind. Brilliant, so brilliant, I yeah. told him, mm. I told him, listen, uh, because you know it was a moment when they had sent me the film and they were asking for feedback. Mm. Uh, I tried to watch it uh, right away, but I was too tired. I gave up. Honestly, I will mm. try to watch it later at another moment on a day when I'm. Uh, kind of clear-minded or not stressed out and I can sit down and feel the true vibe of the film without being being too fastidious or whatever mm -hmm. and that happened and when I did watch the film in a in a better condition I thought oh wow even the bits that earlier you know the first time I tried to watch watch it felt boring or unnecessary now they make sense it's a perfect puzzle it's all in its place and it makes sense. It's really, I really felt it was a perfect film. Hmm. So this is a, I believe an example of both the fact that again, we are human beings who might have different uh, moments of, uh, um, you know, stress and uh, um, different degrees of, uh, um, of a per perception of uh, of uh, of the quality of our perception at different moments, mm. uh, but this this is just destiny. I mean, sometimes it, it might be mm. destiny, but mm. also I would say that uh, whenever we feel something, uh, we are aware of our state of mind, of whether we are tired or fatigue is affecting our views. So we are also reacting to that sometimes by saying, okay, no, it's not the right moment to watch this film. This is not the only case. It happened to me many times that I said, no, I, I have to stop. I see that there is something interesting here. Uh, I'm not in the right state to watch it now. Mm, yes. So mm -hmm. to go back, uh, mm. to go back to the question. Yes. Uh, we are, I, I guess I respond also for other colleagues who are doing mm -hmm. this kind of work with the same passion. We are all trying to preserve our resources and our enthusiasm mm. uh, because that is exactly what is keeping us going. Because, uh, yeah, otherwise, if we were just uh, uh, doing our job uh, as a robots and just processing the material without our emotional and intellectual investment, then then we wouldn't do a good service to, to the films. Paulo, there was no film selected from India uh, for Cannes uh, last year and uh, this year. And everybody was like, uh, you know, why isn't an Indian film in Cannes? And everybody had this, some of the Indian filmmakers had this idea that, you know, you need to design a film, your film, according to, you know, 
cans mm. you know you need to you need to study cans and design your film and that's when you're going to get into cans or venice or any other festival but i had a few other filmmakers from another country who never who did not comment on this and they said that they make film the way they want to make a film and they don't think about designing anything you know to fit a specific festival what do you think of this I do agree with these filmmakers. I mean, uh, there are many, many logics that uh, can determine whether a film is getting into Cannes or Venice. But mm-hmm. most of the times, as I said earlier, when it comes to films coming from India or Turkey mm-hmm. um, or Thailand or Indonesia, it's really just uh, the quality of the films themselves. Uh, then, uh, again, the quality of the film themselves within the context of their country of origin, but then the comparison as well with the films from other countries that have been received. And uh, I totally, totally discourage and counter, I mean, I discourage filmmakers from uh, this um, illusion Mm. uh, that if you make a film tailored for the festivals then it would work it it will never work because people working in the festivals they do have the experience and the knowledge to understand and most of the times you feel whether there is sincerity or not i i would i would say that uh despite rejections sometimes there are films that may find the right place, their better place, in uh, in places other than Venice yes. and Cannes. Absolutely. I believe that, for instance, there have been films that have Indian films, but films from all over the world, mm-hmm. that have been having a very successful career premiering somewhere else and mm-hmm. having their launch in smaller festivals, but then traveling uh, throughout the whole world, being discovered maybe in a festival where there was a less crowded uh, uh, offer. Mm-hmm. And they were able to uh, to impose themselves by their quality, by their originality, and having a better career than if they had probably started in Venice or Cannes. Having sure. said this, once again, uh, uh, I, I keep repeating myself, but I think this is a an important thing to say in a way to encourage filmmakers as well. I mean, Cannes, yes. Venice, Berlin, Locarno, we all make mistakes once again. <laughs> and if your film maybe doesn't get there, doesn't get to your dream festival, it doesn't get to Sundance, but then it gets into Tribeca and you have a wonderful experience mm-hmm. and your film gets a US deal, whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, there are always uh, avenues that a film can find, and if if the film is good, it will eventually find its audience, its success. Uh, maybe as I and go, going back to to what I was saying earlier, maybe not necessarily at the right moment, not at the moment of its release. Maybe sometimes you have to wait to make another film, and then your earlier film will be rediscovered and appreciated this happened to uh, really big uh, filmmakers as well it's not just happening to you know first time filmmakers from india it's happening it's happened to great filmmakers from the us as well i mean go back and check uh, uh, the early the very first films by directors like richard linklater or even martin scorsese whether they were uh, films that uh, had critical success that played in big festivals so this can be of a certain comfort to to filmmakers, and then again, uh, in regard to this uh, to this matter of whether uh, 
it is the quality i believe yes it is the quality uh, of the films that brings them to these major platforms mm-hmm. but one has also to to bear in mind and i and i want to add this that um it is not necessarily being in Cannes or Venice that will make the career of a film you know every year in Cannes or Venice there are maybe let's say 100 new films playing in feature films playing in all the sections mm-hmm. how many of them do you remember next year yes you know this is this is a key key point that i mean then there are specific yeah fractions of these programs that might be remembered within context because of course you know this year we had a peruvian film in directors fort nine a beautiful film yes. con- called song without a name yes that film obviously for melina, Peru yeah, has, yeah yeah melina leon's film yes, yes. that film for peru has become a high point of pride for local cinema it is a great achievement because it's a country that i mean india can I mean, India has its own problem of not having had a film. This year, it was the 25th jubilee of mm. not having a filming competition in Cannes. Mm. No, I don't know. I don't know if it is an event to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. But you see, other countries like Peru have mm. to celebrate because they had finally a film after probably a decade oh. in uh, in one of the Cannes selection. Now, maybe I'm exaggerating. I didn't mm-hmm. go back and check, mm-hmm. but certainly there hadn't been a Peruvian filming director's fortnight for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So it's also very relative and it uh, can create different uh, feelings and I'm pretty sure that after this year of drought in Cannes for Indian cinema Mm. uh, maybe next year it will be a good year we are all still you know I'm sometimes I'm talking with colleagues who are dealing with Indian cinema I was I was talking about this with uh, you know Minakshi Shede who works in Cannes uh, sorry no works in uh, in Berlin Berlin, we were saying because because Berlin also has this problem that it's 25 years there hasn't Mm. been a film in the main competition Mm. and yeah we're always saying oh we hope this brought ends Uh, and we are still I mean for Venice as well because it's less um um, it's not as long as for Cannes and Berlin, but it's been since uh, 1990, 1991, when Buddha Gupta and Mira Nair were in competition. So yes. it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's been hard for Indian cinema, but I think it will find its own way back to the main stages of these festivals. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Paolo, the next question you can choose not to answer, uh, um, but totally depends on you. The selection of Gully Boys for Oscars. Well, uh, first of all, I have to say that I haven't watched the film, so mm-hmm. I cannot comment on the film itself, mm-hmm. on its quality, because I, I read so many different views, different opinions. I, I saw that was a polarized reaction yes. in the social media about yes. this choice. Yes. But I can say that uh, from an external point of view, it's actually an interesting choice in the sense that it kind of reflects the current zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that there is so much attention, so much support for filmmaking made by women. And I believe that this is also relevant, uh, important, significant within the context of Indian cinema, Mm -hmm. because for the longest time, and of course, this is a a reflection of a wider problem within the society, Mm -hmm. um, there have been very few 
women directors in Indian cinema, yes. um, not just in Hindi cinema, but in general in all the, the regional filmmaking. Um, now, luckily, there's something changing. I, I myself have experienced and witnessed this because in the last year, in the work for Venice, where I have a clearer and closer uh, understanding of what is going on with the submissions we have, yes. um, there has been a surge, relative surge of uh, women filmmakers. There, there, there have been a few who mm -hmm. have been making films, mm -hmm. also coming out of uh, regional uh, cinemas. You know, um, I think that it has been a very, uh, a quite. Uh, a quite relevant uh, phenomenon that uh, um, these women coming from different corners of the countries, they have been trying um, to make their voices heard, sometimes being literally one women shows like uh, yes. our much beloved Rima Das you yes. know we all admire and respect immensely what she's doing she's doing the films all by herself and there is a huge sincerity in her voice that's yes. why Lovely. I think her example is really giving uh, hope and uh, courage encouragement to other women filmmakers all around the subcontinent. So yes. I I feel like, uh, I mean, again, I cannot comment on the film because I know it's a different kind of film compared to Rima Das films. Yes. But still, I feel like it's an appreciate, appreciable on this. Uh, uh, can we say that? Uh, <laughs> I can. I think it's uh, it, it, we can appreciate and respect yes. uh, this choice coming from India. Absolutely. Paolo, thank you so much uh, for your time. Yeah, it was my um, pleasure. Sorry, I speak a lot. And I, <laughs> no, and I lose lovely. And I lose myself in the talk and then I forget things that I wanted to say because earlier about the new ways of films, uh, oh, sorry, of, of content and seeing films, I was thinking that I should mention also VR because that's yes. so so relevant these days also yeah. within the specific frameworks of Venice and Cannes. Yes. But I forgot. <laughs> as, I was, as I was going on, I went on and on and on. Okay. Okay, Paolo. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a good day. Are we redefining the definition of feelings with the bombardment of content? A, which the answers you will get as we unfold other podcast episodes where we have some more critics coming on the show. Also, we do not need to design a film to fit into the festival mood. If you find this podcast helpful and value adding, do connect to us. Leave in your comments. And you can connect to us on our Twitter handle, Metaphysical Lab. And you can connect to me on my LinkedIn handle. I'm your host, Suchita. Signing off and I'll see you guys next week with some more conversations on our podcast. 